Welcome to the Happy Menopause Podcast with me, Jackie Lynch, registered nutritional therapist and founder of the Well, Well, Well Nutrition Clinic, where I specialize in women's health and the menopause. There are so many ways that diet and lifestyle can help to relieve a whole range of menopause symptoms. And my new book, The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish, is packed with practical nutrition advice to support you through this transition. It's out now and available to order in all the usual places. Join me and my expert guests on a journey through midlife in this podcast and find out how you can have a healthy and happy menopause. Do you ever wonder what you came upstairs for? Forget where you parked the car? Or find yourself grappling for the right word that just won't come? These are all common concerns for women in midlife because brain fog is one of the classic symptoms of perimenopause and menopause. All that hormonal turmoil plays havoc with the estrogen receptors in your brain and the resulting forgetfulness, poor concentration and focus, plus an overall sense of your brain not firing on all cylinders, can be incredibly disconcerting. I've come across many women in my nutrition clinic who were genuinely worried about early-onset Alzheimer's when it was actually all about the hormones. So the focus today is on brain fog as we get to the bottom of what it is, why it happens, and what you can do about it. But first I'd like to give a shout out to my sponsor Silk, who make it possible for me to produce this podcast. Their wonderful product can transform your intimate life, because one of the midlife symptoms we don't often talk about is vaginal dryness. It can be a real problem during the perimenopause and the menopause, causing itching, discomfort, and painful sex. So I'd like to say a big thank you to them, not just for supporting this podcast, but for offering a gentle and natural solution for women with vaginal dryness. Silk's plant-based formula is made in New Zealand with kiwi vine gum extract, which is a natural lubricant. It's water-based and pH-friendly, so that it gently soothes vaginal dryness and irritation, helping you rediscover your love life. It's available at all chemists, and off the shelf in larger boot stores. Visit silk, S-Y-L-K, to order your free sample. And so on to today's episode. I'm delighted to be speaking to Dr. Sabina Brennan. She's a chartered health psychologist, neuroscientist, and host of the Superbrain podcast. So brains are very much her business. Sabina directed a dementia and brain health research programme for seven years at Trinity College Dublin, where she also led a large-scale research study examining the relationship between brain health, lifestyle, genomics and dementia risk. Her latest book, Beating Brain Fog, is a wonderful read, with lots of practical strategies to support and tune up your brain. It's a total must-have for any woman struggling with cognitive issues. So let's hear more from the expert herself. Welcome to the Happy Menopause, Sabina. Thank you very much for having me. And I have to tell you that when I said I was going to be a guest on the Happy Menopause to my husband this morning, he said, oh, really? The Happy Menopause? <laughs> yes. <laughs> having Lisa's, yours certainly wasn't. <laughs> well, there is such a thing and that's my goal in life to help women achieve it. 
I so wish I'd met you (laughs) before I had my menopause. Oh, well, listen, thanks so much for joining us today because I know you're a super busy woman, but I also know that you've got some really fascinating stuff to tell us about. And I think that the subject of brain fog is going to be so interesting to so many of the listeners. So can't wait to drill down into all of that. But before we do that, let's find out a bit more about you. So tell us your story, Sabina. What's your background and how did it lead to where you are now? Okay, in a nutshell, because I do have quite a varied past. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll start with where we are now, because that's kind of my credentials and qualification for speaking about brain health and brain fog. I went to university at the age of 42, probably when I was in my perimenopause. (laughs) I did an undergrad degree in psychology, and then I got a scholarship to do a PhD in the Institute of Neuroscience at Trinity College Dublin, which is Ireland's premier university. All the while going through perimenopause, juggling all of that. Sort of for seven years after that, then I directed a dementia research program at Trinity again. And then in the last few years, I'm, I was leading a, a, a research study on brain fit, but also I'm really I'm passionate about, because I had a different past, you know, because I, I haven't been in academia all my life. It really struck me when I was doing my PhD that there's so much fascinating and useful science out there that isn't being translated uh, and passed on to the general public. And initially for me, it was around, you know, brain health and reducing your risk of developing dementia. And so I kind of just have made it my mission in life to translate complex neuroscience into easy to understand practical information to help people be more proactive about their health, particularly their brain health. And that would include managing things like brain fog. Prior to that, then I'll do the whistle stop. Prior to that, actually, I was a soap actress. Oh my goodness. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So just hold that thought because I'm going to have to go into that in a bit more detail. But I think what you're saying is is really interesting because it's a real skill for a scientist to actually be able to distill that information down into something that, that the average person like me can genuinely understand and not either feel A, intimidated by or, or B, just sort of glaze over. So it's fantastic, I think, and I want to hear more about that background. But I think that very varied background is exactly what, of course, um, makes you such a, I, I think, perhaps a brilliant communicator around this because you can see what, what people need. You haven't always been in that particular field. So you understand perhaps how those of us who aren't in it feel. I do, because I left school at 16 with the equivalent of my leaving cert, which is like your A-levels, but I had just started school quite young. I always felt in the company of people who'd been to university, there's you feel somewhat intimidated that they somehow, that there's secret information that they know that you don't. And, and you know, you can be, and I mean, I'm, I've always been quite outspoken, but also in that kind of company, there's this fear that you may say something that's really ridiculously stupid because you didn't go to university. And what I'll say to any of your listeners out there is that actually there isn't anything particularly um, fancy about what they do. I mean, if you if, if you are sort of perimenopausal or around that age and you didn't go to university and it's something that's popped into your head, go for it. I would honestly say that, you know, raising children, living life, 
have paying mortgages, all of those things which you generally have done by the time you get to perimenopause are far more challenging, far more complicated and far more diff- difficult than studying for an under- undergrad degree. And they really are, provided you pick a subject that you absolutely love and that you have a real natural curiosity for and hunger for, which I did in terms of psychology. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a really great thing to do. And it's a really great thing for your brain health. And despite the fact that I was joking earlier about having brain fog with, you know, with menopause and doing all that, actually challenging your brain and learning new things is a good way to counteract brain yes, fog. Yes, I know. And it's certainly something that comes up in your book, which I was very interested mm-hmm. to see. So we'll come on to that. But we've got to go back to the other bit now, because everyone's going to be sitting there listening and thinking, well, come on, what about the soap actress bit? So <laughs> tell us about the earlier part of your life then. Well, I actually worked in life insurance before I was an actor. I worked in life insurance for 15 years and then gave it up when when I had my two two boys because I said, gosh, I don't want them to have this horrible job that they're just doing to pay the mortgage or pay for holidays, etc. And I always wanted to be an actor. And I had studied drama with the Guildhall School of Music and Drama uh, from the age of eight. So I finished my grades. You do them like you do for music. And I qualified as a drama teacher. And then I gave it a go as an actor. And uh, yeah, ended up getting a, a really big role in Fair City, which would be the equivalent of your EastEnders sort of thing. It was on five nights a week. Amazing. And yeah, it was a really meaty role. I played a woman who was a survivor of domestic violence. But unfortunately, then she took him back again. <laughs> and the leopards never changed their spots. But it was a really, really meaty role. And that was way back. You know, I left that show in 2003. So it was very early coverage here in Ireland, you know, of that topic. And in fact, they had to open helplines the night because I was ultimately murdered by him. So I had to open the helplines, etc. You know, that's another thing I say to people, you know, follow your dreams. You know, I'm I'm particularly actually when we get to perimenopause and menopause, it's a time depending on when you started. I had my kids very young. So mine are grown and flown the, the, the nest now. But it's a point in our lives where a lot of people can look and feel like they're no longer needed or almost society would almost tell you you're a bit past your sell by date. You know, you've raised your kids and you identify so, assuming you've had kids, of course, you identify so much and so much of who you are is wrapped up in and entwined with being a mother Mm -hmm. that when they do leave, I mean, I cried my eyes out when my, you know, when when my first son uh, left home. Actually, it's a really, really, it's a really good time. It's It's one message I really want to get across is, you know, my 50s have been the best decade of my life. I know who I am. I know what I want. I know what I need. I have the passion and the energy to go for it. I care less what people think. I realize that this, I have one bite of the cherry and it's my life. And I devoted a lot of my life to my kids. And I'm very happy that I did that. But now it's my turn. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and we're thankfully, we're young enough now. You, do you know, I mean, I know we're the same age as our parents were, but we're much younger. Yes, yes I know um, exactly what you mean. We're much, much younger and probably healthier and, and we have a more positive frame of mind. We're better educated. I think it's a great time to revisit what your your dreams and desires and, and hopes were and consider is there, a, whether, a, whether you still want those and B, is there a way you can go for yeah. it? Yeah, oh, I think that's very inspiring and empowering. Let's drill down into the basics then, first of all. I mean, what is brain fog, Sabina? So brain fog is 
Well, it's an umbrella term, really, just to kind of make that clear to people. People may have heard of things like fibro fog or uh, cog fog or pregnancy brain or menopause brain or baby brain or chemo brain. So I use brain fog as an umbrella term to describe a collection of symptoms that most generally include feeling foggy or a loss of mental clarity, trouble paying attention or concentrating or focusing, issues with memory. And learning. So by learning, I mean, you know, taking in new information. So perhaps someone trying to show you how to use a remote control and it just not seem seeing to go in or someone's trying to tell you a, a new uh, procedure at work and it just it just won't go in. A slowing of what we call processing speed. So the speed at which you can take in information figure out what it means and then formulate a response. So just a general feeling that it's taking you longer to do that. Also then language issues, trouble finding the right word or substituting an incorrect word for the word you intended to use or a sense that your language just isn't as fluid or as rich as it ordinarily would be. And then one other symptom that also then surprises people, it's terrible, but we would say, you know, difficulties with spatial navigation, but generally people would say clumsiness, mm. so bumping into things. Mm. Uh, and that is a cognitive function. People often think that's physical, but your brain is constantly a Assessing the distance between you and your environment, and it's constantly, constantly, you know, assessing all of those things. Uh, you know, like say when you come to sit on a chair, you know, it's doing all those, and it works so seamlessly that you don't realise that that actually requires, you know, a cognitive capacity to do that. So uh, that can be affected in brain fog, and then a sense of mental fatigue. And I, I think it's really important to distinguish between mental fatigue and physical fatigue. Yes, and we're hearing a lot of that uh, actually with people who have had long COVID. You know. And they say oh, they're fatigued and people generally think that means they're just really tired or exhausted, but they're very different. There's very different systems involved. You know, if you're physically fatigued, you know, your muscles are tired and, and you need to sleep, but actually your brain is probably still functioning OK. But with mental fatigue, it's very different. You really do struggle to do very ordinary everyday things. And you there's a real feeling of of exhaustion that's not in your muscles, mm. you know, it, 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 and, and it's actually really probably more debilitating than physical fatigue. And also you, when you have mental fatigue, you are more likely to feel physically fatigued sooner. Yeah. So they're kind of the, they're the, they're the symptoms. If you have brain fog, you don't have to have all of them. You know, some people will have one or two yes, um, of those symptoms. Some will have all. And I mean, all of us at some point in our lives will have experienced many of those symptoms as a consequence of, you know, something that's happened. Perhaps you're jet lagged or you've missed, uh, you have, you know, a couple of nights where you've stayed up way too late or, or you're chronically stressed or overworked. But those things will generally resolve themselves when you catch up on sleep. But with brain fog, it's just a little bit different in that you, the symptoms are persistent, they occur regularly and they interfere with your ability to carry out your job, your relationships and to your, just the quality of your life. I must say, I was absolutely astonished to read in your book that 600 million people worldwide experience cognitive dysfunction or brain fog. I suppose that that speaks to what you've just said, really, that it might be different forms of it for shorter or longer periods of time. But it's interesting that it's so broad and so common, because I think it's often the kind of thing that people fold in on themselves about and don't want to talk about. Because to quote some of the, the women who come to my nutrition clinic, they say, well, I thought I was going mad. And it, it must be quite a relief to discover it's not. 
Well, that's one of the reasons I wrote my book, Beating Brain Fog, because I it particularly, I mean, it affects people of all ages, all walks of life. And there, there's multiple different causes, which we can touch on later. But one of the key reasons was particularly felt for people, uh, perimenopause and menopause, because so many people, and myself included, um, are, you know, because of our age, begin to worry, gosh, am I getting dementia? You know, and, and my mom had dementia. Um, I, I was directing a dementia research program I knew about the brain but my brain just not what just was not functioning properly I have an autoimmune disease so I mentioned it to my rheumatologist and um, I asked him would he send me to a neurologist just you know because I just in the, the niggle in the back of my head was did my mom have it back this far you know and mm, um, yeah. anyway uh, you know, it wasn't, I got all the, the, you know, the all clear and I knew myself, I was clear. I know the tests that you do, but it still felt really quite bad. Mm-hmm. I just felt, you know, for people who don't even have the insights that I have, the fear that it must bring up and then that brings on stress and that all interferes, fear and stress and anxiety are going to interfere with your brain fog and make it worse. Plus people may stop socializing. And that's going to make your brain function deteriorate because they're afraid maybe they won't remember, you know, words or or names and they kind of start to hide away. And this whole cycle kicks in and your sleep gets disrupted and it's already disrupted during menopause anyway. And and so this vicious cycle. So I really did want to just help alleviate uh, people's fears and show them that there are things that you can do and and to make it very clear Mm. that brain fog is not the same as dementia. They are very different things. Yeah. And of course, much more common around the menopause. So what's going on there? Why does it often happen during the perimenopause in particular? I mean, you have receptors, you know, estrogen receptors in your hippocampus, which is the part of the brain responsible for learning and memory. So you know, those kind of changes are going to impact on your cognitive function. In fact, they impact a lot. And I say it in the book, you know, really your hormones influence who you are Mm -hmm. um, because we are, our personalities really are just just the collection of the patterns of our behavior. That's really all person, what we call personality is. It's the patterns of behavior. And so when those patterns change, which they do with hormonal changes and particularly with hormonal imbalance, we start to kind of lose our sense of self and other people kind of feel maybe, gosh, you've changed. Yeah. You're not really you anymore. Mm, yeah, that's so fascinating. And of course, The book, Beating Brain Fog. I mean, it's a fabulous title, by the way, and I'm stealing it for the title of this episode because it really does (laughs) does what it says on the tin, which is fabulous. And one of the things I was interested in when I was looking at it was the whole notion of a brain fog profile. It was a sort of quiz which helps you identify what your personal issue is, because as you've already set out, it's not all the same. So what are those sort of different sections it can fall into? You know, so many people have mentioned to their doctor what they're feeling and they either just get brushed aside or the doctor is more concerned with the underlying condition, if there is an underlying condition or the hormonal imbalance, but actually doesn't really pay heed to the brain fog. And the brain fog itself can actually be the most debilitating part, you know, interfering with your quality of life, your ability to do your job. So I wanted to empower people to be able to 
articulate exactly what they were ex- were experiencing in a very clear way rather than just saying, oh, I have brain fog mm. or, you know, oh, I just don't feel right. And so basically in psychology, we have what we call, you know, we describe brain function in various cognitive domains. And each of the things that I listed belongs to a specific cognitive domain and, and specific areas of the brain are involved in those. So when you talk about having trouble concentrating, focusing, problems with making decisions, planning, organizing, that's really seated in your frontal lobe. So that's the part of the brain that sits under your forehead. And we actually call that executive functions. And it is almost like that executive. That part of your brain is like an executive controller. It has connections with every other part of your brain. And so it can take all the information in the big picture stuff and help support you to make decisions. So um, it will be quite challenging if you're experiencing issues with executive function. I know I actually didn't mention when I listed all the things, attention, trouble paying attention is a big big issue. And again, that will be uh, associated with that part of the brain. So then you have memory and learning. They're inextricably linked. Learning really is the first step in the memory making process. You have to take in new information in order to remember it. And I'm not talking, I often think I wish there was another word sometimes for learning because it's so, so associated with academic and rote learning, but doing anything new is the process of learning in your brain. Yeah. And then the spatial navigation, as I mentioned, which is if you feel clumsy. I mean, I certainly always became clumsy just before my period. In fact, it was often even a, a hallmark that that I knew it was coming. What else did I say there? Language, language processing. Did I cover them all there? So executive fun- function, uh, attention, memory and learning, spatial navigation, mm-hmm. language processing. Yeah. Oh, and, and processing speed. So the speed at which you can take in information and uh, turn it out again. And that's a bit like the speed of walking, you know, I mean, that can change actually as we age as well, not just with brain fog, but much the same as it takes us a bit longer to cross the road than it used to. But the information, the good news to people out there is that even though it does change, we're just as accurate as our younger self. It can just take a little longer to oh, kind of get the information. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it is. We are just as accurate. And and the funny thing is, you know, we, we, we could, you know, we, we give out to ourselves. We don't give ourselves the permission to take a little bit longer to formulate what we want to say, but we no problem giving ourselves permission, you know, to run slower than we used to, you know, because we sort of accept that. So it's something that I do say in terms of, you know, when I give it talks about aging and aging well is to say, just give yourself permission and and the words will come and the answers will come. Uh, but often if you get stressed about it, well, then they won't come because stress will impede your yeah. ability to retrieve the information that you want. So, um, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. And of course, the great thing is that the stuff we can do about all of this. So in the book, you flag up the four key areas of of brain fog management. So can you just talk us through those? So basically, it's sleep, stress, exercise and nutrition. And there's no surprise there. But I suppose what the book does, and I hope it achieves it, is I really try to explain, you know, the neuroscience, what is going on in your brain when you sleep. And therefore, how if you miss sleep or your sleep is disturbed, how that actually brings about the brain fog. See, and yeah. I have just very simple rituals in the book. I'm very conscious that anybody who's uh, living through brain fog is already feeling that life is a challenge. And I know that from my own experience. So uh, the rituals really are, are they're, they're really about 
reviving, resetting, you know, revitalizing your brain and getting you to introduce habits that will help your brain to to function optimally. When it comes to exercise, both physical exercise and and mental stimulation are critical. And then as you'll know, uh, nutrition is key. As I said, your brain depends on you for its, it's a high energy organ and it depends on you for its fuel. And that fuel is the food you eat. Rubbish in, rubbish out. Yeah. Plain and simple, rubbish in, rubbish out. You won't see me arguing with that. So, One of those themes, actually, when you talked about earlier was the whole notion of brain healthy habits and exercising your brain. So what sort of things can we do then to to tune our brain up? So really, and I'll start by saying, you know, there's a multi-million dollar industry, uh, you know, in in brain training games that's capitalizing on people's fears um, of memory loss or, you know, indeed brain fog. And I want to say categorically that there is no evidence to support the fact that any of those uh, reduce your risk of developing dementia or boost your brain health. There are some studies that show that brain training games uh, improve your uh, ability on the games that you're playing, but there's no real evidence that that then translates to the general world and general life. Oh. Furthermore, most of the research on those brain training games is carried out by the people who have made the brain training <laughs> games. So it, it's, it's oh, not to say away in, a, in a study, isn't it? <laughs> But, but it's it's not to say that there won't be evidence in the future to say that they work. So not dissing it all together, you know. However, there is no evidence to date and there's a cost benefit payoff. And my argument would be the time spent playing those games would be far better spent engaging in activities that we know for sure do boost your brain health. So basically what you're trying to do when it comes to your brain, ladies, bigger is better. Okay. <laughs> in, you want as many. So you've got 86 billion uh, brain cells and trillions of connections. So your brain starts to shrink from about the age of 30 through a process called atrophy. Thankfully, we know now that living a brain healthy lifestyle, you can actually slow down that atrophy. Anything that involves learning is the best way to enhance your brain function. So challenge novelty and learning. So often that's what happens. Like, so we say, as I said to you, the brain starts to shrink um, with age and that, that, that atrophy accelerates from about the age of 60. Now, the thing is, a lot of the things that are associated with with brain health are things that we stop doing from about the age of 30. So, you know, we go to school, uh, we go to university, we're learning how to do a new job. And then you start into your 30s and your 40s and you start to coast along. You know, uh-huh. you've, you've been qualified and you know what to do and you're not learning new things. Similarly, physical exercise is brilliant for your brain. And a lot of people stop exercising in their 30s. You're playing sport up until early 30s, that kind of thing. Uh, Socializing is brilliant for your brain health. And, you know, 30, certainly for women, you start to have kids and your socializing and your social circles diminish. Uh, You're having less adult stimulating conversations and you're spending more time with young children and the conversations aren't as stimulating. So there's kind of a little bit of a a pattern across that. And we we start to coast along and coasting is not good when it comes for your to your brain because um, you really do need to challenge it. So so that's it. That's why I'm passionate about lifelong learning of any shape or form, anything that involves extra effort on your behalf. So 
you know, I mean, the keys to do things that you love are, are things that, you know, you're naturally curious about. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be academic. Of course, it can be, but it can be, you know, learning carpentry, you know, playing a musical instrument. You know, if you already play a musical instrument, it's about actually learning new pieces or learning a new technique. Because mm. do you know what I mean? So yeah. you can kind of do it on autopilot. Once your brain learns how to do something, it can do it on autopilot. That's what practice makes perfect, can do it. And that's brilliant for your performance, but for your brain function, you're not then going to be getting the benefit of the new connections that you want. All about novelty. It is all about novelty. And that novelty can take the form of new food, uh, new, new people, new experiences, very simple things like taking a different route to work. Really simple. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be these grandiose changes. Oh, I'm going to go and study literature. It really doesn't have to be. But think of new ways you can do. And if you go out to a restaurant, if we can go back out to restaurants again, (laughs) I'm going to try new food. I'm not going to order the same meal I ordered the last time. I'll order a new one. Even listening to a different type of music. So say if you always listen to pop music, there's a pattern. Verse a chorus, a bridge, a chorus, whatever. I don't really know for sure what the pattern is, but there's a pattern <laughs> that your brain knows. Yeah. And so if you switch that up and you start to listen to classical music or something, your brain has to pay attention mm. because it's not getting its chorus. And so it really has to listen and it has to learn. And over time, it will start to learn that music and learn that. And, and it's still enjoyable, but you'll get benefit for, from it, you know. So it's really, you know, switching up even maybe types of books that you read, anything that involves novelty, yeah, that's uh, interesting. learning and challenge. Yeah, I, I joined a book club a year or so ago. Well, actually, no, more than that now because it was before lockdown. I feel as if I've lost the last year. And whenever I yes. whenever I say last year, what I really mean is 2019, I've discovered. Yes, I um, think so. <laughs> and it's been really interesting because I'm a very keen reader. But, of course, now I'm reading books that I wouldn't have chosen myself. And I have yes. noticed that it, you know, it's making my brain work harder. Yeah, yeah. And you're also probably reading more actively. So we read for enjoyment. And, um, you know, sometimes you just kind of skim and your your attention sort of lapses. But if you know that you're going to be talking to somebody about the book, you're not just reading the book, you're formulating judgments about Mm. the book and things that you might say. So, yes, it is, you know, that. So so that's kind of what what I do say. And I do say that in the 30 day program. There's lots of different areas of your life that you're you can make changes in, but you can have multiple double whammies. Do, mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. if you walk to your book club, you're getting your exercise. Do, do, do you know what mm. I mean? You can kind of just, it really is just about um, introducing new habits yeah. into your life. Okay, fantastic. Now, you touched on the notion of new food. So let's go back to food, because obviously you said that nutrition is one of the key pillars and it's clearly my area of interest and expertise. So one of the things I was thrilled to see in the book is that you focus on blood sugar balance. I mean, absolute Mm -hmm. music to my ears because that really is nutrition 101 for me when it comes to managing menopause symptoms, as regular listeners will know. So why is it so important for brain fog? Your brain actually converts the carbohydrates, you know, um, that you consume into glucose. It's its primary form of energy. And, and so if your blood sugar is low, you'll probably experience 
brain fog and you'll get a cracking headache as well. Your brain, your brain thrives on regularity and we're very unfair to it. It really is at our mercy for the fuel that it eats. And what it really needs is a regular supply of fuel so that it can actually support you in doing everything that you do. And are the particular nutrients you flag up as important for managing or reducing the risk of brain fog? Unless you have been diagnosed with a deficiency, there is no need for you to take uh, supplements for your brain function. I'm talking specifically about your brain function and your brain fog. Basically, though, if you have a vitamin B12 deficiency, your brain function can be quite seriously disturbed to the extent that it has often been confused with dementia. If you suspect that your brain fog may be to do with the deficiency, go to your GP and get yourself assessed. And basically with vitamin B12, you, you they will most probably uh, prescribe uh, an injection once a month. If you, ha- if you are iron deficient, that can also interfere with your brain fun- function and lead to brain fog, as can a deficiency in folate and omega-3. We generally don't eat enough omega-3 in our Western diets. Omega-6 is pretty good, but we generally eat way too much omega-6. Yes, um, so- because so much of it's found in things like sunflower oil, which of course is a key constituent of so many processed foods like crisps and commercially made biscuits and so on. Yeah. So basically, really, what you want to try and do is lower your consumption of omega-6 and increase your consumption of omega-3. Okay, everyone. So lots of oily fish, lots of flaxseed. You know, I love flaxseed. Walnuts, great source of omega-3. So really be focusing on that. A couple of other things I want to ask before we wrap up. I just want to touch on the rituals. You talked about those a little bit earlier, and I want to pick out my favourite one, which is the smile ritual. Can you tell us a bit about that and why it's important? Well, yeah, because well, smiling is free and it's just got tons of health benefits. It lowers your blood pressure. It boosts your immune function. It releases serotonin, which makes you feel good, even if you're not feeling good. And it boosts the growth of brain cells. It really is an all rounder. Um, and so one of my rituals, yeah, is to start the day with a smile. Don't get out of bed until you smile. It's it's amazing the difference that that can make to your life. You'd be, you, you really would be surprised. It's quite life changing. And it sounds funny. And, you know, some of the rituals I have. Okay, smile when you pee, smile when you boil the, boil the kettle. It really is just getting you into that habit of smiling. And I, I should s- sort of tell a little anecdote in that, you know, the brain is the most complex structure in the known universe. And I couldn't understand how it's fooled by a synthetic smile. You know, how if you just put your hand, your, your, your face into that shape, you get all those health benefits. And then it eventually kind of came for me one morning after a really good night's sleep. It's because the brain is so clever. It has given us this little mechanism to lower our blood pressure and boost our immune function and, and release feel-good hormones and, you know, essentially really helps manage stress. So, you know, we have that. It's free. We have that at our at our disposal any time of the day. And I know people get annoyed when people say to other people, oh, smile, come on, it's not that bad. But the thing is, actually, just say it to yourself, just smile. It really will gradually kind of get you to a good place over time. And it's quite simple. Often people want complex drugs and and medications and prescriptions. And actually some of the answers are really rather simple. Yeah. So just keep smiling. That's a fabulous way to, to come to the, towards the end of this. So 
Before we start to wrap up, where can people find you, Sabina, if they want to learn more about you and what you do or perhaps be involved in any of the research that you're involved in? Basically, yeah, if they go to superbrain.ie, that my, that's my website. It has links out. I have tons of free resources on my website. It's of animations and brain health apps and all the rest. They're all free. Uh, you'll find links to my book there and to my podcast. So the website is called superbrain.ie because my podcast is called Superbrain. If you fancy following me on Instagram, you'll find me at Sabina Brennan and on Twitter at Sabina underscore Brennan. Fantastic. Well, I will be sure to put links to all of those in the show notes on the podcast page of my website. But let's not forget also your lovely new book, Beating Brain Fog, your 30-day plan to think faster, sharper, better, because that's what we all want, isn't Mm -hmm. it? So finally, from all the things you've learned from your own experience, but also, of course, all the wonderful research you've done over the years, what are your top two tips for women struggling with menopause or brain fog? Obviously, the sleep is is, is the priority, and that's a particular challenge when you are going through the menopause. Anything that you can do to prioritize and improve sleep, because on top of hormonal changes, your disrupted sleep is going to impact on your brain function. So make it a priority. And if you are missing out sleep at nighttime, consider a nap. And the second one, I think for me coming out the other side of perimenopause, I realized looking back that I lost my sense of humor and I lost my joy in life, really. And that's why I love the name of this podcast, you know, The Happy Menopause. Mine wasn't really happy, but I know now that it could have been to keep laughing, to make sure that you do something every day that you find joy in. Put Even if it's a half an hour, you know, put it aside to do something that either you, you can just lose yourself in completely because you love it so much or that actually makes you laugh. And the reason that those two things are so important is that they're both natural stress busters. So laughter is nature's natural stress buster. It actually lowers your levels of cortisol. Great. Thank you so much. Well, Sabina, it's been wonderful chatting to you. And really, thank you very much for sharing your expertise and your wisdom, because I know that the listeners will have found it invaluable. I hope so. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to chat to your listeners. Wasn't she amazing? I just love chatting to Sabina. She's full of so much practical expert advice about beating brain fog. And I hope you found it reassuring to know that you're not alone. And there's a lot you can do to manage your symptoms. If you'd like to find out more about Sabina, her books and the work that she does, you can visit the show notes on the podcast page of my website, well-well-well.co.uk, where I've put links to her website and social media. Next month is all about how to boost your energy and stop feeling tired all the time. Make sure you subscribe via your favourite platform so you don't miss out. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on. And make sure you tell all your friends. It makes a huge difference to the visibility of the podcast and really helps to spread the word. Because every woman deserves to have a happy menopause. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.